Elton John and Spike Lee, Oprah, Aretha, and uh, Kevin Costner, and a bunch of others were all in church. Stevie Wonder was there, and Bill Cosby for the funeral of Whitney Houston. The flags in New Jersey were all at half-staff. And many mourned the loss of perhaps, arguably, the greatest voice of our lifetime. The story of Whitney Houston is one who was born with the voice of an angel. She sang in that church where her funeral was held when she was 11 years old in the kids' gospel choir. And immediately went to the head of the choir and had the solo spots. She earned the solo spots for the youth choir, then the adult choir, while she was still basically a child. And I can, I'll never forget hearing her sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl probably 20 years ago now. Absolutely one of the most uh, spine-tingling moments uh, ever. What happened? She was taken from the Christian culture she knew that cared for her well. And thrown out of that culture, not thrown out by those that were there, but led out of that culture into a very different culture. Without the equipment that she needed to survive as the minority culture in an evil and perverse realm of the media and the arts, the entertainment industry. This morning we come to the book of Daniel. Daniel not only learned to survive, but to thrive as the minority culture. Minority culture is often used of Black Americans or Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, living in the white culture, which is the majority. But this morning, I'm not using it that way. As a multicultural congregation, we all need to learn to live and thrive as the minority culture in a perverse and evil generation. That's the story behind Whitney Houston. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. And we all need to learn how to live upright in a crooked generation. We need to learn how to hold on to our values in a valueless society. How to maintain our bearings as Christians in a post-Christian world. That's the story of the book of Daniel. Now, um, for the first time ever, I was wishing 
uh, two people would be absent this morning. Linda Goslin and Dale Webb. The reason is Linda Goslin has been teaching the book of Daniel for six months. And Dale Webb has been teaching the book of Daniel for 18 months. And I'm going to tackle it in 30 minutes. So pray for me, brother, sister. We're well familiar that this year, as a church, we're studying through the Bible, one book each Sunday. And today we come to the last of which in our English Bible is the last of what they call the major prophets, the book of Daniel. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Daniel is not listed with the prophets. There are three sections to the, to the Hebrew Bible. There's the books of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Because Daniel is a unique prophet, he's not listed with the prophets, he's listed with the writings. He's a unique prophet in many ways. Now, for one thing, we know the Old Testament's written primarily in Hebrew. The New Testament is written almost exclusively in Greek. The only exception is Daniel's chapter 2 to 7. It's written in Aramaic. So this book is the only exception. Otherwise, we could say the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Except for Daniel 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. It's written in Aramaic. And the reason is because the culture in which... Uh, Daniel was living. But the reason he's a unique prophet is unlike the other prophets, his prophecy did not much apply, if at all, to Israel. His prophecy did not come against sin or judge sin. Daniel's prophecy saw further than perhaps any other prophet, Old Testament or New Testament, who ever lived. His prophecy went far beyond Israel because he didn't begin prophesying until Israel had already fallen to Babylon. And the book begins with him being carted off as a prisoner of war to Babylon. So it takes place under the rule of Babylon. But he doesn't judge Babylon. Then after Babylon begins to decline, he's under Persian rule, but he doesn't come against Persia either. His prophecies see further encompassing four entire civilizations. He saw clearly the civilization of Babylon, Persia, Greek and Roman civilizations. Before they ever came to be, he saw them. Then beyond that, he saw, perhaps more clearly than any other prophet, the return of Christ and the events immediately preceding the return of Christ. The final ingathering of all the Gentile believers. The provoking of the Jews to jealousy so that there will be a return of Jews to put faith in Christ before Christ returns. The seven years of persecution that will take place before the end of time. And then the eventual judgment and ingathering of all people and the return and coronation of Christ. It's all there in Daniel. If you want to understand these things, you can't omit the book of Daniel. You really can't fully and properly understand the book of Revelation, which, by the way, is the last book we're going to be studying in our study through the Bible. But you can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding, to a good extent, the book of Daniel. So, 
He's unique in all of that. There is no other prophet who does that. Now, when you come to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel is in two neat little packages. The first six chapters and the last six chapters. The first six chapters have everything to do with his personal life. The last six chapters have everything to do with his prophetic ministry. The first six chapters are all about the experiences that he went through. The second six chapters are all about experiences that he would not go through, but that future generations would go through. The first six chapters are all centered around six stories. The last six chapters center on four visions. That's the book of Daniel. And normally, when the book of Daniel is studied, the temptation is to focus entirely on the now and the personal life and the moral integrity of a leader and to study how we can have moral integrity and you focus on the first six chapters. Or you kind of gloss over those and you focus on the prophecy of the last six chapters and all the events that are going to come to pass Many of them yet to come to pass. But Daniel wasn't written so that we skip over the first half or skip over the second half. In fact, it's my conviction that it's best to study them right on top of each other. Even better than studying the first six chapters sequentially and then studying the last six, lay them right on top of each other. Because without the moral integrity of Daniel, he would never have been entrusted with the vision. You can't take the man out of the visions. They would never have happened. Jesus said it. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Daniel was a man who was pure in heart, and he saw God, and he saw what God was going to do like none other. The other incredible thing about Daniel, Daniel was not a professional religious guy. He was a prime minister. He was a prime minister in Israel. When Israel fell, he became prime minister in Babylon. When Babylon was in decline, he becomes a prime minister in Persia. He's more like Joseph than Joseph. Work, workplace Christians identify with Joseph because he was a, a believer in the workplace. Well, you, you have another patron saint in Daniel. Daniel was really not a prophet. He was a prime minister who happened to prophesy like some of you who are being raised up like prophets in the workplace. And isn't it amazing how The favor of God was on Daniel. The favor of God was on Daniel as a young boy, and he grew up and was was noted for his academic excellence, his integrity, and he was entrusted with position of high leadership in Israel. And then he goes to Babylon, and he's honored above all of his peers as a leader among leaders, even though he started as a prisoner of war. The cream rises to the surface and God honors him and blesses him there. And then the same when it comes to Persia. He's raised up and, and honored in that environment. 
The favor of God was on him. And yet at the same time, no one went through more suffering. Sometimes we think, oh, if the favor of God is on my life, I won't have problems. Everything will go smooth. Look at Daniel. Case in point, the favor of God can be on you and you can still go through some deep waters. The deep waters that Daniel went through are some of the deepest waters any believer, follower in Christ ever had to go through. And yet in every one of them, he, he's raised up and then tested. And then raised up higher. And then tested worse. And then raised up higher. What a, what a legacy for all of us. But woven through all of Daniel's story and his prophecies is this matter that somehow God taught Daniel how to walk straight in a crooked generation. How to hold to his values when no one else held to those values. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For broad is the gate and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many will go that way. But narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And few will find it. Daniel found it. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not, I'm not putting a, a, any slur over Whitney. But the fact of the matter is she didn't find it. I believe she knew the Lord. I believe that God's hand was on her. But as far as gaining victory and defeating the enemies that were against her, no one helped her or she didn't get it. But she stands as one today from whom we can all learn. No matter how gifted we are, God wants us to walk straight and narrow. Daniel learned... How to walk straight. Go through the narrow gate. And he took a few with him. But he was willing to go if he was the only one. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel who was raised up time and time again. And then tested. Raised up. He never lost his bearings. And this morning, I have a burden on my heart for the 11-year-old Whitney's who are in our church family and a burden that we provide a culture here that teaches the little ones how to not just survive, but to thrive as the minority culture. If you don't mind, I've got a five-point message this morning. Okay. And I didn't get it till this morning. I mean, I did all the research and it was all there and then it kind of fell in place. Number one, Daniel embraced his minority culture calling. You know, 30 years ago, we were hearing about the moral majority. We were hearing about how the largest voting bloc in America were conservative evangelicals. And everybody went after them. And supposedly, they elected Jimmy Carter. They elected so many presidents in a row. Well, 
Now, nobody's talking about the moral majority because there is no such moral majority. Not now there isn't. And I've heard so many Christians bemoaning the fact, oh, our country's going to the dogs. Oh, it's just terrible what's going on with our country. Oh, we're in just such rotten shape. We've got so much immorality. So, now, I bemoan it also. But I want to just point to the silver lining in this whole thing. We might as well recognize the fact that for the first time in my lifetime, there is no longer a blur between what is holy and what is unholy. Between where the church ought to be positioning itself and where the culture is now living. And I feel really good about that. I'm glad because the worst thing for the survival and health of the church is what's called enculturation. It's when the church becomes enculturated and you can't tell the difference between Christians and unbelievers. And for the first time now in our lifetime, perhaps, we can now clearly see the lines are clearly painted. And let's let's embrace that fact. We are part of the minority culture and God wants us to embrace that. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul said, Anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I'll tell you, we might as well embrace that. Now, we don't need to adopt a martyr complex. Daniel did not have a martyr complex. He never thought twice about what the consequences would be. He didn't bemoan the fact, but he embraced the fact that he was called to march to the beat of a different drum. This leads to point number two. God wants all of us to learn the discipline of delight. The discipline of delight. Uh, the a former president of Wheaton College, Raymond Edmond, wrote The Disciplines of Life. In it, there's one chapter called The Discipline of Life that changed my life. The Discipline of Delight. He cited Daniel, chapter 1. Now get this. Daniel... And you and I have at least one thing in common, and that is we are the minority culture living in an affluent society. The minority culture living in an affluent society has got to learn. Now, I'm talking about the the righteous minority culture has got to learn the discipline of delight. If we can't discipline our delights, we will get sucked into the world system along with everyone else. Daniel did not allow that to happen. He knew that he could eat anything he wanted. He wasn't going to go to hell if he if he ate the rich foods at the king's table, but he would not maintain his edge. He would lose his heart's focus. He would lose his love for heavenly things. He would blur the distinction between what his calling was and what the calling of everyone else there in Babylon was. And he was not going to let that happen. He disciplined his delights and said, I'm not going to eat any of your meat. I'm not going to eat any of your gravy. Lord have mercy. I'm not going to take your ribs, take your fat, juicy ones. I'm not even going to eat your pizzas. Uh, Just give me veggies. Man, I'd get sick of that. And the guy said, man, you're going to get me in trouble. I can't do that. He was so smart. He says, he didn't try to get him in trouble. He said, look, it, just give me 10 days. If I'm no better or a week, whatever it was, if I'm no better in, in a week than everybody else, I'll quit. And he, so he did the experiment. Smart. The guy's smart. 
And so his overseer saw, man, you're, you're doing better. God, keep going. And he kept getting better and better and better. He disciplined his delights so that when he would be called upon a few chapters later to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Nebuchadnezzar bows down and worships him as a god, he, Daniel had no problem because he disciplined his delights in giving the glory to God and not taking it for himself. He said, what are you doing? Stand up. Don't worship me. Worship God. I didn't interpret your dreams. God interpreted them. I just told you what he interpreted. And then when Darius comes along and says, hey, what's this handwriting on the wall? And Daniel interprets the handwriting and he wants to the king wants to pay him big. Give him a lot of money for this interpretation. Daniel says, keep the change. I don't want the check. Go give it to your mother-in-law. Do something with it. But I, I don't need it. You know how he could do that? Because he already disciplined his delights. Now, I, I am tempted. I'm really tempted right now to give you some of what you ought to be thinking about. Some of the delights. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to exercise a little discipline here myself. But here's the point. There are things that you could do you could eat, drink, or smoke, and they won't send you to hell. But I'm telling you, watch out. Somewhere you got a discipline. Somewhere God's going to call you. Don't do it. It's okay for others. It's not okay for you. Now I'm going to give you one example for me. I'm tempted to give you five or so. I just love to tell you. But I'm just going to tell you one. Betting. I golf. The Lord told me when I was a little boy, don't ever bet anything. Don't bet 25 cents. Don't bet a buck. Don't bet a 20, a 50, a 100. Don't ever bet. God just told me that. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. I know God's warning me. I know he's keeping me from something. Underneath, there might be some addictive thing down in there in my past. I don't know. But I'm not going to go there. Guys will often tease me. Oh, come on. It's just a buck. Oh, you're afraid you're going to lose? I said, I don't care. <clears throat> if it's, if it's lunch, I'll buy you lunch. But I'm not gonna bet for it. Now, I'm not, I'm not any more righteous because I don't bet. I'm just smart. Somewhere, and, but I, I could give you eight of them. Things God's told me, it's okay for somebody else, it's not okay for you. I'm so thankful as a teenager, God taught me to fast. Every once in a while, come back and fast. Fast. Fasting is part of the discipline of delight. You read the book of Revelation, chapter 19, when Babylon falls at the end of time, when this world system crumbles and Phipps Plaza is a ghost town, and all the perfume counter has been ruined, and it, it, you know, none of those fancy silk nighties and all those things are gone. If you haven't learned to curb your appetite, if you're yearning for those things that this culture has to offer, you'll be among those mourning instead of those rejoicing that God's about to win the day. I'm telling you, God wants us to discipline our delights. And Daniel is a case in point. All right, point number three. You better throw it up there because I forgot what it was. Okay. 
Daniel was a man of prayer. Utilize the lifeline. Daniel, it's amazing. Read the book of Daniel just pointing out where he prays. He prays so often, by the time you get to chapter 10, verses 11 and 19, God sends an angel to Daniel and he says, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Oh. I was like, are you kidding me? He's esteemed in heaven. I mean, Daniel was not only esteemed on earth, he was esteemed in heaven. And I love this one. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree was in writing, it's the decree that no one could worship any god but the idol that they set up. When he heard that there was this decree, oh, and that anyone would be killed who worshipped any other god, he went home to his upper room, to the upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his god. Why? Because he was a show-off? No, because it says just as he had done before. Nothing changed. He didn't up it because this edict, but he didn't lower it because the edict. He went right out there in plain view and worshipped God facing Jerusalem. Because it's what he had always done. Prayer was woven into his life. Nothing ever changed with that prayer life of Daniel's. He And he knew when he was getting through and he knew when he wasn't. And one day he was praying, what, 21 days. And finally an angel comes and says, man, we heard you right away, but we couldn't get back and tell you because we had to battle through these demonic spirits up there to let you know your prayer was answered. What kind of a prayer life is that? That he, 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 He knows when he's getting through and when he isn't. There's something... I'm telling you, as the minority culture, we want to thrive. We don't want to just survive. You want to thrive, you have got to utilize the lifeline of prayer and get that baby open. Keep the channels open. Grow in prayer. God wants to meet you and for you to meet Him. And Daniel's three buddies, his three buddies... They were his prayer partners. There's so many pieces of evidence in the book of Daniel that, that reveal that Daniel latched on to those three because they were prayer partners. The fourth thing we learn about how to thrive as the mi- minority culture is take trials in stride. When Daniel's three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace because they were being elevated above their peers, even the Babylonians. These three guys were then thrown into the fiery furnace. You know the story. Jesus appears to them in there. And they were not killed, but the guys that threw them in were killed. Just from the heat coming out. 
And the only thing that was burned was the ropes that bound them. And they came out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Nothing except what bound them comes out of the fiery furnace. But listen to what they said before they were thrown in. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love every bit of that. I love the swagger to it. You don't have anything on us. There's no fear, but there's no presumption on God either. There isn't the, 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 the name and claim it. There is none of that. There's pure confidence, 100% confidence in God that He is able to save. And for one thing, O King, he's definitely going to save us from you. Because if if we die in there, he's going to save us from you. And if we come out, he's going to save us from you because you got nothing on us. What are you going to do then, King? So we lose either. I mean, we win either way. You're going to lose either way. That's so powerful. There's no fear of man. There's no fear of consequence. That is the heart of the minority culture. Are any of these things new? Are any of these things you're hearing, things you never really heard before? These are things I've never said before. Because until recently, I didn't embrace the fact that we were the minority culture. It's a whole lot healthier for the church when we recognize who we are. It's part of the reason I love minorities. We as white Christian Americans need to learn from our minority cultures how to thrive in a minority situation. There are a lot of issues that can cross over that apply to those of us that are of the white culture. It's true. And brothers and sisters, welcome, perhaps for the first time, to the minority culture, those of you that are white. It's true. Welcome to the minority culture. Here we are. We no longer hide behind our whiteness. Because that's not the issue. The issue is not the color of the skin. The issue is who is our God. And that defines us in the minority. The final thing that we learn here from Daniel. Oh, I'm sorry. Before we go on, and if the slide's gone, that's good. We looked at the fiery furnace, but what about the lion's den? Daniel's friends, when they were thrown into the furnace, said, Our God is able to save us, but He's definitely going to save us from you, O King. No doubt. Daniel had that same confidence when he was thrown into the den. 
<laughs> Every child that goes home, uh, if his mother asks, what did you study today in Sunday school? Oh, we learned about Daniel in the lion's den. Well, just to set the record straight, you all know that it wasn't the story of Daniel in the lion's den. It was the story of the lions in Daniel's den. You know that, don't you? The moment Daniel got thrown in there, it was not any lion's den at that point. It was his because God was in charge. The lions had no more authority over Daniel than the king had over his three friends. That furnace had no authority over his three friends, and those lions had no authority over him. God has all authority, and they entered his domain, and they went from being roaring lions to being little pussycats, little purring pussycats. He could go tickle them under the chin, hey, giddy, 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 giddy. Oh, because God was on the throne for Daniel. And he took his trials in stride. He never once bemoaned, oh, isn't it terrible what, what God is allowing to happen to me? Look at how I was in Israel and that collapsed and in Babylon and, and that went through. I, my friends were thrown in the furnace and we faced all those trials and now I'm in the lion's den. He never bemoaned anything because he's the minority culture. He knew it was coming. It's okay. The trials, the circumstances, I'm not a prisoner of those things. God is on the throne and I serve Him. The fifth thing we learn on how to thrive as the minority culture is when it seems as though God is delaying, slow in showing up, keep your eyes on the return of Christ. Because in the end, we win. And Daniel, who suffered so much through his life, painted an incredibly clear picture. At least 3,000 years before it's going to be fulfilled. Of the return of Christ, the ingathering of the Gentiles, the seven-year tribulation, the coming of the Antichrist, the final judgments, the second coming of Christ. All those things clearly laid out. Chapter 7, verse 13. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Chapter 7, verse 27. Then the sovereign power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey Him. And one who was a ruler in three different earthly kingdoms looked forward to Himself being part of that future reigning of Christ under whom He would reign on the earth. When, as it says in the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And that's the picture that Daniel gives. Hallelujah. No, Daniel saw clearly what would happen 
And for us, we don't know how many years until that's going to be fulfilled. But we're a whole lot closer than Daniel was. And it it was like an anchor that kept him upright walking through his life in the minority culture. And if it did for him, it can for us. God wants us to fix our eyes on the return of Christ. When Christ shall come and every eye will see Him. And these earthly dominions will become His. And He will reign forever. And even when Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, He said at that time, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Me. Daniel understood that, I dare say, better than many of us. Do we really understand that all the authorities here on this planet are really His authority under His dominion? That the nations are but a drop in the bucket. They're dust on the scales. A nation can be born in a day. Now at the same time, I want to quickly say, I'm praying for God to raise up Daniels in our country. And I'll tell you, pray for God to raise up Daniels in in Iraq. Man, do they need Daniels. And what about Egypt? I mean, every every where there is a national kingdom, God can, any time He wants, raise up a Daniel. But for us, as a congregation, charged with our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. We all want to be embracing our minority culture calling and quit seeing each other as this culture, that culture, this culture. That's looking as man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. We're kingdom people. And as kingdom people, we are the minority culture. Because there are people from all cultures in our country who are part of the majority. Or part of the world system. Daniel embraced that calling. He disciplined his delights. He lived with the lifeline of prayer wide open. He took his trials in stride because it's what you get in this as the minority culture. And he kept his focus on the goal of the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. Amen.